Hello, and welcome to the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast, Episode 124, Summer Holidays Edition. This week, news from Atlassian, including legacy automation, a discussion with Rena Neer of Redbee, and a look at more technical news. You may be missing the dulcet tones of our favorite host, Ryan Spilken. Ryan is on holiday this week. I am Brenda Burrell, and I am joined today by Matthew Stubblefield and special guest host, Danny Coleman. Matthew, Danny, hello. Good to see you both. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start uh, in, uh, you know, as we would if Ryan was here with the, with the cloud, uh, with updates to the overall platform. If you are a cloud enterprise uh, customer, you can now add products to your enterprise plan with the click of a button. No longer do you need to contact Atlassian to add another product to your plan uh, from your organization's admin.atlassian.com. Just go to products and click Add product. Uh, customers will also have rolling out soonish, presumably over the next week or two, uh, an improvement to Insight and Jira service management, the ability to add attachments to your objects in order to help make sure that your team has all the information they need when accessing an object. In Insight, you can now attach any relevant files, pictures, or other information. You know, maybe maybe your favorite GIF, maybe GIF of the thing uh, directly to that object. Do note. You do have to have edit permissions to add an attachment to an object, and attachments must be 20 meg or under in size. Let's talk real quick about automation in Jira and Jira service management. There used to be some automation in Jira service management that allowed you to configure your projects to uh, trigger certain things that may happen uh, based on other events. Uh, that old automation, they're calling it legacy automation now, and they're phasing that out uh, in favor of some new, more advanced automation functionality. It's actually powered by uh, co the Code Barrel automation app that they acquired a while back. The legacy automation is still there and in place. Uh, and at this point, there doesn't seem to be a plan for you to lose anything that you may already have uh, that you've already built using that automation. But if you stand up a JSM site after August 30th, you won't see that option anymore. So your stuff that already exists is safe, but they're definitely starting to make moves to making the new automation functionality the prime one. And then having used it myself, I think it's more advanced, better, more user-friendly. It's just a nicer experience all around, truthfully. My question is, will new automation taste just as good mm -hmm. and refreshing as classic automation? Same great product, brand new packaging. Moving on to our cloud update specifically for Jira providing support for Bitbucket DC OAuth provider. So you can add OAuth credentials for Bitbucket Data Center. You'll be able to see your team's activities, such as development information on the code page for your project. Um, and this also allows you to add issue keys to commits, branches, and pull request summaries. Uh, you can now create subtasks in the list view, breaking down items into smaller subtasks. All of your notifications will be available in one place. All sites notifications will show up in your menu and you can sort the notifications to show the ones you haven't read. Uh, you will no longer be able to delete notifications so you don't have to worry about losing them. So you will see notifications from all of your Jira and Confluence sites in one place and with improvements to accessibility and how those notifications appear. 
You will also be able to see open incidents on services affected by a change request when viewing that in JIRA service management. Uh, you'll be able to see if any affected services are being impacted by open incidents. In the issue view, these warnings are going to show in the affected services field. You'll also be able to view the start date for your items in the calendar view. For advanced roadmaps for JIRA, advanced roadmaps lets you see into the future. And I'm reading directly from Atlassian's release notes here. Not like next week's lottery numbers, more like the future of your plans. You can now use your mouse or trackpad to scroll forward and backwards on your timeline, also coming with new increments of weeks, months, quarters, and years, as opposed to the previous three months, one year, et cetera. Kudos to whoever at Atlassian wrote that one. It made me smile. You'll have more control over your help center layout and manage how service projects are displayed to your customer in the help center. Feature your important projects more prominently and organize your help center so your customers can quickly find what they're looking for. In reporting in JIRA, cycle time report, a new report has been introduced that measures the median time for your team to ship using 12 weeks worth of data and identifies outliers to improve your team's performance. And lastly, for JIRA updates for cloud, JQL search here for projects. You can search for issues quickly using JQL in those projects to define complex criteria and get autocomplete suggestions as you type. There's also a new expandable editor so you can write long queries over multiple lines. Uh, to use it, go to issues in your project sidebar and select JQL. Lots of fun stuff. Yeah. For updates with a JIRA service management flavor, little seasoning of service management in there. Uh, you can now request approval from groups. Uh, new this week. Good news, everyone, as the release note writer channeling Dr. Farnsworth. Uh, using groups as approval services, this requires approval from everyone, uh, or you can set a minimum number of people from each group or a minimum number of people, regardless which group they came from. Uh, lovely little update there. Um, you're still only able to assign the issue to one person, not to a group, um, which just makes sense, even though um, that is the type of thing that's been requested for a while. But I think group approval uh, is great. And um, there's a way to add this to the workflow overall. Another improvement to the uh, the help center, um, how to organize and feature your service projects in the help center. Um, so getting some, some more control on that, you can feature important projects more prominently, uh, organize your help center so your customers can quickly find what they're looking for. I can see you doing this if like, you know, there was a project that had just had a big release or maybe a brand new um, product that you wanted to highlight, or maybe one that's having a, a particular outage or something, and you wanted to make that service portal more prominent, that would, this would let you feature that. Or maybe you just got ones where you look at the statistics and see out of your 30 different projects, only two are getting most of those tickets. Maybe you feature those, make them a little more visible. Uh, so this, this feature will help you do that in the help center. Uh, we've got an improvement to uh, uh, knowledge bases. Um, this is in line with something we've seen over the last few months, links between cloud and on-prem. In this one, it's the ability to link spaces that are on Confluence server or data center to your cloud knowledge base. So let's say you've uh, started using Jira service management in the cloud, but your knowledge base is still on-prem and you haven't migrated it yet for, for whatever reason, or maybe you're not planning on it. This will let you hook them together, uh, which is very nice. Uh, when creating or linking spaces to your service project, you can choose between spaces from your Confluence cloud and server sites. And last for Jira service management, you can set up a custom Google email address using OAuth instead of an application-specific password. Bruce's security, don't have to share that password, and it reduces the management overhead just a little bit there. So 
nice one for the service management admins out there. And jumping over to Confluence Cloud, all the notification information that Brenda mentioned about Jira, well, that's applicable to Confluence as well. So we won't linger on that. Uh, they've added <laughs> they've added a template gallery for Confluence. So you can actually, on a per space basis, go in and look at all the templates that are available in that space. You can uh, take a glance at them, see what they what they look like. You can star them for yourself. So it's like your own personal favorite favorite list. Again, on a per space basis, uh, pretty cool. It gives gives a little personal flair and um, kind of gets people involved a little more in templates, which can be a little daunting at times, I guess. And also they're providing more ways to use the edit with app feature. So there's an edit button now on file thumbnails when you're viewing a page and an edit link in the attachments page as well. So that's about it for Confluence. Some fun changes there. And in Bitbucket Cloud, some exciting news. Officially out, um, Bitbucket pipelines. So previously, you could run CI/CD workflows using Atlassian's infrastructure. Now, when you need more control of your hardware and the environment your builds are deployed into, you can now run pipelines from your own infrastructure. Uh, so this is going to be a big help for a lot of customers that are using Jira and Confluence on the cloud, but Bitbucket on data center. Um, you now can do these self-hosted runners. So you can point the build to run on a machine you specify. Uh, it could be one that you host yourself behind a firewall or on a private cloud for your organization. You can custom build configurations, allowing you to configure your hardware for different types of builds. You can access internal applications and databases. When you are running your pipelines on Atlassian's infrastructure, obviously that cannot access your own internal system. So if you need to do, say, integration tests with your internal databases, you can do that with runners. Um, and so you can provide access needed to your own internal services. And you can have hybrid workflows where you optimize your resources by using self-hosted runners with custom configurations for builds that require it and use Atlassian's infrastructure for other jobs. So when you're using your own runners, you're not charged for build minutes consumed by your runner. Sure, this would make Ryan Spilken very happy with his Bitcoin mining empire infrastructure plans. I bet he listens while he's on vacation and he's just you know, like, oh, yes. I bet he does. Excellent. If you are currently using a Bitbucket server with self-hosted CI-CD tools such as Jenkins or Bamboo and you're considering moving to Bitbucket Cloud, the options to runners means you can use Bitbucket pipelines and still use your own infrastructure to run your build. So it opens up a lot of options for release and deployment for folks that are using Bitbucket Data Center. Lots of good information in the article. We'll post this in the show notes. Cool stuff. And more exciting updates. Um, we'll link to this blog post as well. Um, an update on diff and merge performance. So back in July, uh, there was a blog post about some turbulence on Bitbucket's journey to a new platform. And we talked about this in a couple episodes back where um, Bitbucket Cloud was being migrated from an internal data center to Atlassian's cloud platform, uh, same cloud platform that underlies Jira Cloud, Confluence Cloud, et cetera. Um, because of increased file system latency as a result of this move, certain operations have become slower, and those operations specifically are rendering diffs and merging pull requests. Um, so many of the improvements that Atlassian had planned 
in the previous blog post have been implemented. Um, and so in mid-July, an optimization was shipped that improved diff response times by 40%, reduced the rate of timeouts by an order of magnitude. And then also in the last month, um, Atlassian has deployed changes that have collectively improved end-to-end -end merge, merge times by over 30 seconds during peak traffic. That's quite nice. Uh, so if you're the sort of person who geeks out over graphs and reports, um, this blog post goes on to show the comparisons of performance times, et cetera. Um, lots of good data on that. So if this is the thing that has been impacting your organization, um, definitely worth taking a look at. We'll link it in the show notes. Pretty, pretty cool updates for Bitbucket on the cloud. There's a, a fairly small Atlassian community on Reddit. Um, not very many people active on there related to Atlassian, but I swear half the posts have been about Bitbucket performance the last few months. Later this week, I'll put this out there to make sure they know about these improvements to Bitbucket because it really is nice. And it seems to be the number one gripe amongst customers. So kudos to the Bitbucket team for getting this shipped. Today, joining us, we have Rina Nier from RedBee. Rina is here to talk to us about Jira snapshots for Confluence. Welcome, Rina. Hi, thank you for having me. First of all, tell us a little bit about what problem RadBee is trying to solve with Jira snapshots. It appears that in many, many industries, there is a habit of exporting data from Jira to just capture it as it is now. So the idea that you need a static copy of exactly how Jira is now so that you can somehow compare it to, to the state in the future is something that comes up over and over again. And Jira Snapshot will solve that. No more need to export as Excel and then bring it to Jira. And of course, there are the other goodies that we, we bring along because it was initially a release documentation thing. And that's the fact that you can easily do diffs between two captures of uh, Jira data in two separate time uh, stamps, and you have the multi-level thing. So in my world, pharmaceutical and medical technology, these are called traceability matrices. But many other people don't know what traceability matrices are, but they do want to create reports where they see the epics, the issues within the epic, the subtasks within the issues, and the snapshots allows them to do that uh, pretty easily. It reminds me of an uh, investment in finance banking firm I worked with a few years ago, where one of the challenges they were, were running into was that they would get audited a few times a year, just very randomly. And they would have to package up kind of everything that they'd done and been doing and how they were doing it and submit that to the external auditors for review. And this looks like the type of tool that would make it really easy to just click a button and do that. Curious though, like what kind of setup is involved? Like this is a Confluence add-on that is pulling data from Jira. So how hard is this to set up? How much time does it take? So the setup is basically the link to the Jira from which the data will be captured. Now on server and data center, it relies on the application links. So the built-in module of application links. And if you have an application link set up between the confluence where you install the app and the Jira from which you want to take the data, then there is no setup. On cloud, we could not, uh, due to how application links is implemented on cloud, we could not rely on that as, as our connectivity. 
So we have set our own connectivity. So an administrator will have to, once installed, go to the configuration and authenticate against Jira with an API key. Uh, so that user that will actually be uh, setting up the connection will be the authenticated user through which the data will, will arrive. So also in terms of the view permission and the selection of issues, it will depend on this uh, central setup of uh, how it's set up by the administrator. Does that then introduce a security risk where somebody who lacks permissions to data in Jira could execute a snapshot and then pull that from Confluence and see stuff that they wouldn't otherwise have access to in Jira? To actually do a snapshot, you need to have edit permissions on the page. So that is basically your protection. Now, if you have edit access to the page and the person who has edit access doesn't have access to Jira, that is something you need to, to understand and consider whether it's appropriate for you or not. Okay. So, so that is indeed a, a characteristic. Uh, we have chosen to do that uh, because of simplicity in terms of uh, the user experience and consistency across the instance. But, but yes, of course, it, you need to take into account that the people who have view permissions to pages with snapshots will see Jira issues that they potentially would not have permission to see directly in yeah. Jira. So That's a very important consideration for users in the cloud. Yeah. And so for admins, if you take a look at Jira snapshots for Jira cloud or data center, you just want to make sure you're either restricting the space or the page to the users who you want to be able to see everything in your Jira instance, which for a lot of organizations is pretty open internally, but something definitely to, to keep in mind. Jira Snapshots has script runner integration. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's going to make possible for users? Script runner has uh, several major advantages. Uh, first, it's so ubiquitous that we can assume that a lot of our customers will already have script runner for Jira installed. And script runner for Jira actually has a mechanism to do REST API and get data from wherever you need to get it. So what we actually were thinking, let us integrate with script runner for Jira. And if a customer has a specific situation, they want to get data from a third-party app and we do not support them, then at least we have a solution for them. We can tell them, write a script with script runner, access the REST API of this third-party app, put the data in, inside the script runner field, and we'll get it from there. So by Implementing this single integration, we actually solve a very big issue uh, and, and give us a generic solution uh, that is not impending on us. So we stop uh, being a, the bottleneck. I think for our listeners at home, kind of whatever your industry you're in, be it finance or pharmaceuticals or healthcare or whatnot, take a look because the I think for the for traceability, but also for auditing, like this, the snapshot approach, the, the video shows it performing very well. I'm curious, what kind of performance issues for customers who are sending 100,000 million issues, you know, the, the video shows it performing very quickly, but for the admins who are listening, what um, sort of caveats should they be aware of before they install this? So for data center, we have run extensive tests and it seems to be very quick. We arrived to many hundreds of issues within one snapshots. 
and that's not an issue at all. For cloud, there is currently a limitation. It's documented also in our manual. It's a limitation in the size of the snapshot. So if you'll take, I cannot say the number of issues because it also depends how many fields you take per each issue. So somehow the volume that you have within snapshot, a single snapshot is currently limited to one megabyte. We have on our roadmap to solve that and make that indefinite, but that's the limitation at the moment. So for, for admins, you may have to set your JQL so that the scope of your snapshot is, is limited. And then you can always set up multiple pages, multiple snapshots if you needed to do that type of approach to get a larger volume. As Matthew said, we'll have links to the marketplace listing in our show notes for the podcast. Um, we definitely recommend admins take a look at this. It's a really nice tool that solves a fairly big problem. And even if you have workarounds for these kinds of problems now, this is definitely something you want to be looking into. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. With that bridge from uh, cloud data center, since, you know, obviously uh, Joe snapshots uh, on Confluence is, is both cloud data center. Let's look at Confluence 713. And by look at, I mean announce, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. It is a long-term support release, which means really it's just a roundup of everything else that they've released in the last, what is it, six months to a year? So uh, yeah, 12 months. Uh, in fact, they say it's been more than 12 months since the last LTS release. But yeah. we've talked about all those updates. You know, if, if you've been keeping up to date, you got them all. If you haven't, hopefully you've been listening to the podcast. If you haven't been listening to the podcast, I guess go back and listen to 12 months of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hear about all the confluence stuff. Find the um, episodes well, where we talk about 7.4 <laughs> and go from there. Easy. Yeah. Easy. What could be better? <laughs> uh, maybe you've got some vacation time coming up. And now you know what to do with it. Uh, so, uh, as always, we'll link to the release notes in the, in our show notes for the podcast. You get the upgrade notes there too, as, as would be expected, tons of improvements and, uh, bug fixes, uh, along the way, way too much to talk about. I particularly like this metric that more than 3000 votes, uh, for different features and, and bugs and whatnot that the customers have reported, you know, where they voted and they've said, this is something that's important to me those have been satisfied with this roll-up. So yeah, if you're a Confluence admin, 7.13 is, you know, should be stable and, and uh, ready to install, as always, first on staging, then production. In Trello news, they are rolling out a new sidebar and header navigation experience. And if you are a regular user of Jira or Confluence or really any of the Atlassian tools, this is going to feel pretty familiar. So they've added a sidebar, much like you would see in a JIRA project or a Confluence space, that kind of outlines at the top what the, the board you're looking at is, some of your views, and then it's also a list of the other boards that you have available. And similarly, they've added a header at the very top for global navigation, uh, just like you'd see in JIRA or Confluence that has dropdowns for your workspaces, recent boards you've accessed, your starred boards, and a big old button that says create. This should feel very familiar to you, uh, but it's a nice navigational change that makes everything feel nice and unified. One of the things they, they don't show is there's um, a number of buttons that are available right now that aren't in these screenshots. 
they've been removed. And I'm not quite sure what to make of that. So um, like I have a, a more from Atlassian button at the top left. That's very similar with like Confluence and Jira. It's the expand everything. Like here's my Jira instance, my Confluence instance, et cetera. And I don't see that in the screenshots. So like it, it feels in some respects, like you said, like it's unifying with the rest of Atlassian. In other respects, it feels like uh, a departure from it. And I'm not, I just find that a hmm. little odd. Um, the whole home concept that was introduced just earlier this year. I like, I wonder if the sidebar is replacing that, if they've gotten rid of the idea of home, maybe the screenshots are incomplete. Atlassian, if you're listening, Matthew misses his buttons. I <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, they're, they're screenshots. I wonder how much this is actually like envision design and not, right. um, on a product. Or maybe it only applies the download at downloaded app. I haven't been using that in a while. I've been using it in the in a web browser. Um, we'll see what happens at launch. But like right now, it's it feels like a lot of functionality has actually been removed uh, and and where it's kind of been disassociated from the rest of the Elastin ecosystem, which I find odd. Uh, you know, here's here's the problem uh, with my you know I apologize for my snarkiness and tone. Maybe I'm just a little burnt out. I'm being honest. You know, I hear there's a lot of that going around. There is a lot of that going around and a blog post by Trello, why the biggest risk to your business this year is burnout and how to tackle it. According to this article, there was a study done in 2021 by Indeed, 52% of employees today say they feel burnout. I'm going to go ahead and say that 100% of your podcast hosts feel burned out today. <laughs> we are tired. <laughs> the world is heavy. There's a lot going on. And the, there's no end in sight, really. Um, we, we thought we were maybe going to have a light at the end of the tunnel. The last month or so, that light has definitely been a freight train. And, and mental health and well-being has definitely been impacted by that. And, and everybody is tired. And so this is a really good article giving some strategies that organizations can put in place to, to try and mitigate some of those effects. Not everybody's going to be able to do all of these, and this isn't going to work for everybody. But a few things that can be done, just to hit on a few of those, um, setting healthy communication boundaries and modeling them. It's really hard, and I've worked from home for over five years now, but many folks working from home has been a new thing in the last 18 months or so. It's hard to switch off from work. I'm always, I'm always available. I'm always getting messages. Turn things off when you're not working. And the Danny Coleman strategy of taking time away from the office, take Slack off your phone if you're taking an extended break from the office. Also respect others' boundaries around switching off from work. So don't just say, yeah, we do that. Try to avoid sending emails during off hours or reaching out to them on paid time off. It's really easy to do, oh, you know, they're going to be, they're, they're available. I'll just text them real quick. No, it can wait. It really can wait. And so again, be, be supportive of those boundaries and model them for your organizations. Eliminate unnecessary meetings. I got to say, that's, that's when I really struggle with though, like increasingly over the last year, because even though maybe we could accomplish the goals through Confluence or Trello or Jira or something else or Slack, 
the increasing sense of isolation, um, the lack of opportunity to connect with another human being and to, you know, we've, we've said in the past, and I certainly say this a lot with my teams, the way that we improve productivity is by developing trust. The way we develop trust is by um, being vulnerable with one another. And the only way to be vulnerable is spend time together. And one of the things I've observed this year in particular, I think after, you know, we're already more than a year into the pandemic, more and more meetings are getting canceled to, uh, to improve mental health and establish boundaries and like make things more asynchronous. And there's like a lot of benefits to that, but I'm then seeing an increasing amount of, of isolation. Like I'm, I worry that we take it too far where people have no meetings. Great. Aren't we hyperproductive? Uh, but then they they no longer feel connected to the company or each other. I would agree with that wholeheartedly, and I've certainly experienced that. Um, and and this blog post does go on to say some things should be real time. Keep your one on ones. Have your difficult conversations. Those are not confluence pages by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And do make time for some some fun things. I know a lot of teams at Adaptivist make time for a team game event, even if it's just you know let's play a couple rounds of. Scribble IO or something that does wonders for releasing tension. So definitely be cognizant that some meetings are important, but keep in mind also that it's very easy to get bogged down in lots of meetings. So just be very, be very conscious about what meetings you're asking folks to attend. Cutting down on context switching, and this kind of ties back into the first item. According to a 2019 report, average employees use at least eight apps a day to get their work done. Eight, hold my beer. But you're switching back and forth. Yeah, I've got an email, I've got a Slack, I've got this, I've got that, I've got this, I've got that, I'm over on Trello, now here I'm in Confluence, now here I'm on a Google Sheet. That context switching tires your brain out. Um, and so the, the blog post recommends decrease the number of tools you have to monitor during the days. You can mute Slack or turn it off completely if you do need to focus on some deep work. And then just check in on your employees regularly. Sometimes a simple, hey, how are you doing, will make all the difference for me. So just think of ways and and talk to your teams. Think of ways that you can, in this insane world that we live in, where we're all disconnected and we're all remote for the most part at this point, how can you be human? So an interesting blog post, we'll post it in the show notes. Um, Definitely one, I think, everybody can relate to right now. So that wraps up episode 124 of the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Adaptivist. Send us your stories. Listen to our casts on the pods Multiple the places. casts of pods. In fact, yeah, we've, we've launched a few different podcasts uh, and uh, you can get all of those updates uh, through adaptus.com. Search for them on your podcast caster of pods of choice. And be thankful that for our next podcast, Ryan Spoken will return. I certainly am. Until thankful. then, this is. <laughs> until then, this is Matthew Stubblefield signing off for Brenda Burrell and Danny Coleman. This has been the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast, a member of the Adaptus Podcast Network. Ryan leaves for one week, one week, and this is what happens. <laughs>